Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mysteries the sequel by Jeffrey Deaver, read by Perry F. Bruns. The following day, Lowell traveled to Southampton on Long Island to visit with Preston Malone. Malone was, in a way, similar to Edward Goodwin. Although he'd written, and continued to write, essays and articles on literature, he'd penned only one full-length book in his life, Edward Goodwin, Cedar Hills Road and the Essential American Experience. The exhaustive tome had won a Pulitzer and had, at one point, been required reading in many a college lit course. In recent years, though, Malone had become a bit of a caricature, growing more and more obsessed with Goodwin and Cedar Hills. While the biography was piercingly objective, later articles were less so. He took up the standard of championing the author to an audience that had moved on. Kinder critics called him quixotic. Less kind, usually bloggers, called him names like Goodwin's Pimp. 
The taxi dropped Lowell off at Malone's modern gray beach house, which was nowhere near a beach. The bearded, balding writer, weighing close to 300 pounds, greeted him the way a scientist happily identifies a new bug. Lowell was a minor genus, but nonetheless part of the Goodwin mythos, too. Come in, come in, Frederick. Can I call you Frederick? I'm Preston. They stepped into the large living room, and Lowell braked to a stop. He'd expected, given the writer's interest in Goodwin, that he'd find memorabilia. He hadn't expected a shrine. There was no other way to describe it. Goodwin had been well photographed during his life, and Malone must have had at least one copy of every snap ever taken. On one wall were bookshelves devoted to all of the American editions of the book, on another the foreign. Movie posters hung from other walls, English language as well as Italian, German, French, Spanish, and Japanese. Advertisements for the book and the films sat on easels. Framed autographs and glass cases of pens and accessories like shoelaces and garments bedeviled tables and shelves. Frederick, look at this! Look! Oh, this is quite something! I know you're going to get a chill down your spine. Malone snatched up a small box inside of which something rattled. Lowell reluctantly walked closer to the madly grinning writer as he reverently opened it. My God, were they Goodwin's baby teeth? Fingernails? No, thank goodness. Cufflinks. He wore these in the famous picture. You know the one I mean, of course. He pointed to the Richard Avedon portrait. Impressive. Now, now. He snapped the lid closed and sat, gesturing Lowell to do the same. In a whisper, You found some reference to it? The sequel to the book. He explained about the letter and showed the biographer a copy. Malone nodded. Connecticut, sure. As if he were an ace student rattling off answers to a professor's question in class, he ran unhesitatingly through a half-dozen names of women who could have been the client described in the letter. Some of these Goodwin was with before his wife died, he explained, some after. Malone twisted his head sideways and looked pensive. Katrina Tomlinson, I'll bet. She was beautiful, articulate, a little crazy true. Made him recite passages of the book so she could have an orgasm. Lowell steered matters back to his mission. The clues are idyllic countryside and a house of God. Any ideas? God, God. This perplexed Malone. Edward had issues. His brain made him an Emersonian transcendentalist. His heart couldn't quite slough off the Catholicism of his youth. Lowell said, Even if not religious, though, is it possible that he might have found comfort in a country church or graveyard? That's more likely. And it would be in the countryside. Any thoughts about that? Edward was more comfortable in an urban setting, Malone said in a prim tone, as if Goodwin were alive and present and expected the biographer to defend his reputation as a man who hated hiking and camping. I don't know any reference in his correspondence to spending time in the country. The letter was dated in March of 67, Lowell said. Where was Goodwin then? Without needing to consult any of the many file cabinets in the living room and den, Malone said sourly, The last two years of his life were my biggest challenge, and those were the ones that I was most interested in. He'd grown very reclusive, mysterious. Officially, his address was Chicago. He was a widower then, and the children were living in the city with their grandparents. Edward was away for much of the time, though. A lot of it Pittsburgh. Not exactly idyllic countryside. Malone continued, But I'm pretty sure he traveled elsewhere. I tried to find where, but I couldn't. 
His eyes were downcast as if apologizing to his team for losing a game by striking out. Lowell wanted to clap him on the back and tell him, It's all right. He looked at the dozens of file cabinets. Any documentation from March of that year? Malone now scooted off and returned with a slim file neatly labeled 3-67. There's this! He lifted out a single piece of yellowing paper. Lowell's heart began thudding. What would it show? An address? A safe deposit box number? It was a receipt for a coffee and a cheese sandwich. Lowell sat back. That's it? Afraid so. The top of the receipt bore only the words in scripty type, the Hudson House. No city, no state, no phone number. I tried to track it down, but didn't have any luck. Lowell said, So aside from the idyllic countryside and the house of God, the only thing we know for sure is that he was, at least part of the time, in Pittsburgh the last two years of his life. That's right. What was he doing there? Lowell asked. Oh, he was hanging out with a murderer. Thank you, detectives, for listening to tonight's Calm Mystery by the Murder Mystery Company. I'm Perry F. Bruns. Would you like to show somebody you care? Is there a mystery fan in your life? Couldn't they use a quiet moment and a great story? I'm doing personal stories of 20 minutes or less. Something personal like this can make a friend or family member feel truly loved in an otherwise dark time. They're only $49, and you can email me at calmmystery, that's C-A-L-M mystery, at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay tuned for more tales to tingle and terrify while giving you a needed break from the outside world.